Amen. Good to be saved this morning, isn't it? Isn't it a blessing to know that this, this life is just but for a moment, right? And after this moment passes, after this vapor of a life passes, you get to spend forever with Jesus Christ. Man, we got it good, don't we? Praise the Lord. And, and what we get to do today, we get to do as often as we like. Open our Bibles, talk about Jesus, learn from the Master's feet. The, what, what an incredible blessing we have. Luke 11 and verse number 29, let's begin reading there. Jesus, just to remind you of the context, he has been confronted. People accused him of casting out devils by Beelzebub. He explained how ridiculous that claim was, and he proved beyond any shadow of a doubt. He said, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. And he presented them with a very clear decision. Which side are you on? Are you with me or are you against me? He talked about how an unclean spirit would go out and then it could get worse. He could come back. It could get worse. He, he emphasized the idea, if you're going to do it, do it right. If, if you're going to have a spiritual experience, make sure you have the whole thing. Make sure it's not just the unclean going out, but the clean, the Holy Spirit coming in. And then he has a woman speak up and say, blessed are the paps which gave thee suck and the womb that bare thee. And Jesus says, yes, mom was blessed, but yea, rather, they that hear the word of God and do it, they're blessed. I want you to have that in mind because what we have in verses 29 to 36 is the conclusion of Jesus' time in that one spot. He's preaching from somebody's house. Many people have gathered together. And this is actually, as I understand it, the invitation time. Remember when we get to the end of a sermon, I will give an invitation. And I will explain, if this is your situation, do this. And if you're in that situation, do that. That's what this passage is meant to deal with. In verse number 29, the Bible says, And when the people were gathered thick together... He began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of, the, of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and, shall, and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. And then almost out of nowhere, Jesus pivots. He switches topics here. Watch what he says. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick that they which come in may see the light. And then seemingly out of nowhere, he pivots again. And he switches to saying this, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. 
And with this being said, I'd like to, after we have a word of prayer, preach to you a, a sermon with this title, Reacting to the Light. Reacting to the Light. So if you would, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Father, help us this morning. We turn our attention now to the Scripture. We believe it is the words of God. We believe that you inspired them, that you have preserved them. And Father, today I believe you want to speak to us and instruct us from them. Now, Lord, you know every heart in this building, and I pray that you would deal with their individual needs. Show them where they are at in this passage. And Lord, please help me to preach now. Please place your hand upon me. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. In verse number 29, you can see it says the people were gathered thick together. There's a large crowd that is now gathered. And amongst this crowd, there are many, there's a spectrum, if you will, of reactions to what Jesus has been saying and doing. Some people in the crowd absolutely hate Jesus. There are people there that think he's full of the devil. There are, and the other end of the spectrum is there as well, there are people there that believe that his mother is blessed and that he is blessed and that he's a wonderful man. And yet there are some others there that say, well, show us another sign. So you see, all the spectrum is there. Jesus has now been teaching and preaching and doing enough miracles. He is now going to deal with all the various people in the room and where they might be at spiritually at that moment. And what he's going to address is how they are reacting to the light that they've been given. Jesus, we know, is the light of the world. The Bible says he is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. And as this great light has now shown to these people, Jesus is saying you have to do something with the light you've been given. The light should change you. You have to react to the light. Unfortunately for us, isn't it true to human nature that when we have access to something on a consistent basis, we often take it for granted. Isn't that true? When we have food every day of our lives, you just take that away for one day and see what happens to a man. You will be extra thankful for that food that you have. If you've experienced good health for the majority of your life and then all of a sudden some horrible disease overtakes your body, you will greatly appreciate all those days you had of good health. Isn't it strange that every winter, we all of a sudden become more appreciative of the warmth of summer? <laughs> and then as soon as summer comes around, we miss the cooler days of winter. It's strange. We always complain about we, what we don't have, rather than doing something with what we do have. Rather than being thankful for the coolness of winter and the heat of summer, we rather complain about what season it is not. People often say when it comes to this issue of how much light God has given to people, they say, well, what about the heathen that have never heard, the people that have not received any light at all? I say there's an even greater question at hand. What about the heathen that have received light and have done nothing with it? There is an answer to the question, what about the heathen that have never heard? Please don't think that they are without light. God has, he has given every man the light of his conscience. God has given every man a, an access to him through the light that is given through creation. So please don't think that the heathen are helpless. But what is alarmingly scary 
is the heathen amongst us that has constant access to light and yet poorly react to it on an ongoing basis. I dare say that in our town, because listen, we are in a town that is saturated with Christianity. And I, say, I use the term loosely. I, I don't mean to say that every form of it is a, a right form of it. But the things that we know as Christianity, Christian-like things, they're all around us, so much so that we begin to take it for granted. Remove yourself from this land. Go somewhere to, say, like the Middle East. Go somewhere maybe to the Far East. Go to the jungles of the Amazon where they don't have the light of the gospel all around them, and you will then begin to appreciate the massive difference that Jesus and the Bible makes in a society. But what we're dealing with today is how have you reacted and responded to the light that God has given you? Do you understand this is the human responsibility? This is how we are judged. You must understand this core and fundamental principle. God judges every man that has ever existed based on what he did with the light that he had access to. You must understand that very basic principle of the Bible. That will help you understand the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Generation to Revelation. Why did that want to come out? Genesis to Revelation. That thought will help you understand it. And what you're going to see in these three different categories in the passage we read are three different reactions to the light that was given. So as we go through these verses, I want you to see if you can locate yourself in the passage. Because I promise you, you are in one of these three categories. So the first category is verses 29 down to 32. 29 to 32. We've already read the verses. I'll forego reading them again. Let me say, though, in summary, verses 29 to 32, light is rejected. This is light rejected. This crowd, they have been watching Jesus do miracle after miracle. Jesus says, this is an evil generation in verse 29. They seek a sign. Do you see that? They seek a sign. That's all that they do. They only seek a sign. They're not seeking truth. They only seek a sign. We met this a little bit back in the same chapter. Look at verse 16. Others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. No matter what Jesus did, it was never enough to convince them because they did not want to believe. They were stubborn in their heart. Their heart was hardened to the truth. They loved darkness rather than light. Why? They did not want to change. So no matter what the preacher said, no matter what miracle Jesus did, it was never enough to convince them to convert. The light was continuously rejected. Some people, I dare say, even today you're sitting in the church and still there's nothing I can say today that will satisfy you enough to say, that's it, I'm going to make the decision, I'm going to give my heart to Christ today and allow Him to be my Lord and my Savior. You have come, but you are unconvincible, unmovable in your position. The book of Proverbs tells us like this, a scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. He is stuck in an unending loop of looking for wisdom and never finding it. Why? Because every time he comes across a good answer, he makes fun of it. 
He tries to poke holes and find a reason not to accept it. If you're looking for a reason to reject, you'll probably find one. If you're looking for a reason to receive, what more can Jesus say? What more can he do? What greater thing can he do to prove to you that he is the Savior of the world and he wants to be your personal Savior? What more do you want? Jesus goes on to talk then about two groups of Gentiles. What a way to get Jewish attention. To say, listen, there are some Gentiles that had this figured out. And you Jews, here I am doing these great miracles, giving these great explanations. You're not getting it. But let me tell you about some Gentiles that got it right. And he uses two examples from the Old Testament. He says, back there you read in 1 Kings chapter 10 about the queen of Sheba that came to Solomon. If you've read the story, it's a wonderful story. This queen of Sheba comes and she had heard in her own land about the the wisdom of Solomon and the beautiful temple, and the way that they served the Lord and worshiped the Lord. And when she got there, the Bible says she saw the wisdom and the temple and the meals and his ministers and how they conducted their worship service and their everyday business. And the Bible says that she sat down and asked Solomon hard questions. Have you ever met somebody that said, you know, I got questions about the Bible? I got questions about Christianity. What about this? And what about that? And how many animals were in the ark? And, and uh, who did Cain marry? And, and, you know, they have questions. And they just got question after question. After, and that's what Sheba, the queen of Sheba had. She had a lot of questions. The Bible says Solomon answered every one of them. Nothing was hid from him. Wisest man in the world. He just said, well, the Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this. And all of her questions were answered. And then he took her on a tour of the temple. She got to see the temple. Then she went to the governor's house, the king's palace, if you will, and got to see that. The Bible says this was her reaction. She said, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. And amen, I say the same thing is true of Jesus. Before I got saved, I had heard about people being born again and how they had this massive change in their life and how people would dedicate their lives to the Lord. But I didn't know it to this extreme. Not until I came and actually met the Lord Jesus personally and had him come in and sup with me and me with him and and then experience it. And I say, praise God, we don't even know the half of it yet. We're on this side of glory. Wait till we get to the other side. The Queen of Sheba, can we say, went to Solomon's church, got her questions answered and said, I'd heard about it in my land, but now that I've been here and had the things explained to me, you've answered my Bible questions, and I see how your church operates, you guys got the real deal, I believe. I believe. It was enough for her. Now, what is it about you? You got some questions? We'll try to give you answers. You can come to church and, and, and see that, hey, there's some genuine love going on. There's some people worshiping in spirit and in truth. What more do you want? For the queen of Sheba, it was enough. Jesus also uses the example of the Ninevites. Jonah shows up, as you know, a reluctant preacher. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites. He'd spent three days and three nights in a whale motel. He got vomited up. Here's a man grossly marred by the stomach acids of a whale. He walked three days into the middle of the town of Nineveh, this massive city, and said, yet, and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
and then he walked out of town. It wasn't a very long sermon. I've often thought about preaching a Jonah sermon. Just give you eight words and then march out, see what kind of response we'd get to that. But as he left town, Jonah didn't even stick around to give an invitation. He didn't sing any songs or hand out any gospel tracts. He just left town. He didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He didn't want to give them a chance to get things right with God. He hated them. But the Ninevites understood that, wait a minute, this Jewish enemy of ours didn't have to show up and preach to us. This is God giving us a chance to repent. God could have easily just wiped us out and not warned us. But God sent a preacher to warn you and to tell you you're in trouble. Your days are numbered. And if you don't fix it soon, you're going to end up destroyed. You're under the wrath of God. You're under the condemnation of God. And if you don't fix it, the wrath of God is going to fall. And the Bible says the Ninevites repented. What was, uh, listen, they didn't have the death, burial, and resurrection. We know that Jonah is a type of that, right? Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We see that now because Jesus revealed it to us. But the Ninevites didn't know that Jonah is a picture of Jesus. Jonah was a sign to them in that God took a Jew, the enemy of the Ninevites, and sent him to these Gentile people. Did you know that he's the only foreign missionary in the entire Old Testament? That was the sign, and that convinced them. A man coming from our, from our enemy's land to tell us this warning from God, and that convinced them. Jesus said, this evil generation, no matter what I do for them, there's a greater than Jonah here. There's a greater than Solomon here. Jesus was giving far better explanations and answers. Jesus' preaching far exceeded that of Jonah. What more do you want? That's his question to them. What more would you like for me to do? How much clearer can I make it? He that believeth not shall be damned. I mean, it's just super clear. If you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Repent or perish, Jesus said. It couldn't have been more clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is abundantly clear. What more do you want? Jesus said, I am, there's a greater than Jonah, a greater than Solomon. They had light, but what were they doing with it? You say, well, preacher, it's not their fault because, you know, unless the Holy Spirit moves on, on a person's heart, then no matter what is said to them, no matter what is done, they can't believe until the Holy Spirit touches their heart. And to that I say, amen. It is not enough to simply explain the truth to somebody. It's not enough to just answer a question or have an emotional service. You do need the Holy Spirit to stir in a person's heart. Can we all amen that point? Do we know that? Do we know that? But in this passage, look carefully at verse number 20. Jesus said, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. That finger of God, that's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. When you read it in Matthew's gospel, it says the Holy Spirit there. The Holy Spirit had stirred. The Holy Spirit had touched their hearts. The kingdom of God had come upon them. They understood full on what they were rejecting, and yet they rejected it anyway. 
and it breaks my heart to say it, but I believe it's true. There might be some here, no doubt you know that the kingdom of God has been offered to you, and no doubt you have been rejecting it over and over again. The old saying is, light rejected becomes lightning. One day that'll come, come back to hurt you. You see, because the more you reject it, the harder your heart gets. The more you reject the light, the easier it gets to reject it. The more often you come to church, sit through a service, and not listen closely, the easier it gets to come to church and zone out and feel no pain in your conscience about doing it. This is exactly what we find in the story of Pharaoh, is it not? We read there that God hardened his heart, correct? Did you know that Pharaoh started that? Pharaoh hardened his heart first. Because Moses and Aaron were sent to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord? He hardened his heart. And then God continued to do miracle after miracle, right? The plagues. What was Pharaoh's response? Every time he saw a plague, he went, oh, that's really bad. Maybe I should change something. And then he would temporarily make a small change, empty, swept, and garnished, but then he would say, oh, no, 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 no. listen, I, I shouldn't be extreme. Uh, come on, come on back. Let's get back to the way things used to be. And he was hard in his heart. He would never be convinced, fully convinced by those miracles. So the more miracles that God allowed, the harder Pharaoh's heart became because Pharaoh had more to reject. And that's the danger in putting Christ off another week and another week and I'll do it later and I'll do it next week and when this comes right and when that comes right in my life, then I'll take the Lord serious. The longer you reject it, the more difficult it becomes to receive it. Light rejected becomes lightning. You know what Pharaoh's magician said? Surely this is the finger of God. Oh, the Lord had manifested himself to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh knew it very clearly. He knew it deep down, but still, he rejected the light. I wonder if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you for weeks, even months, some of you for years. But let's be clear today, which category you're in, you're not with him. You're against him. Let's be very clear about that. I believe Jesus is trying to address in that thick crowd that's gathered into that room, he's trying to address that certain portion of the crowd that has constantly been rejecting the light that they've been given. But then there's another group in the room, verse number 33. Part of them, light has been rejected. But then also in verse number 33... We're going to talk about light being hidden. Light being hidden. Jesus, it seems as if he switches out of nowhere. But I believe what he's doing here, he, he goes from talking about people rejecting the light. And by the way, if I can just finish up one thought here. I mentioned that the Holy Spirit had touched the hearts of these people. The finger of God, no doubt, had shown up. I say that because it's very popular in this area to believe that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you cannot turn him down. He is irresistible. Oh, he can be resisted. He can be. The kingdom of God did come upon them and they rejected it. I just want to be clear about that. You can reject that. But then Jesus seems to switch here. In verse 33, no man when he has lighted a candle puts it in a secret place or under a bushel. Why does he switch? Because there's certain people in the room that have rejected Christ. But then there's other people in the room that are very happy with Christ. 
And they feel blessed to know him. And they actually fall into the category of verse 28. They, they are hearing the word of God and they intend on keeping it. And I would like to think that that's your category today, many of you, many of you. But then Jesus gives that group this encouragement, this warning. So if you're in that group, please listen closely. If you have received this light from God, if your candle has been lit, what do we mean? You've been born again. You are joined to the Lord, and he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. The light of the world dwells in you. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, that the power may be of God and not of us. So the light dwells within you. And Jesus is now telling you, you have that light, but it's not just for you. The light must not be hidden. So now he tells these believers, guys, if you have the light, you didn't reject it, you received it, don't hide it. Don't get scared to show other people that you are a true believer. And it's not just a matter of telling them with your mouth, confessing it openly, which please, by all means, do so. But what's he saying in verse 28? You need to hear the word of God and keep it. Live out your Christianity in your public life. Don't be ashamed to live like a Christian. Don't be ashamed to be different. Don't be afraid to shine in a dark world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think if maybe you can think this through with me. This will help illustrate the point. Imagine if we were sitting in a very dark room, which with ESCOM amongst us, I think we can all picture that quite easily. Sitting in a very dark room, right? And as we sit here, it's in the, in the evening, so there's no natural light from outside. It's very dark. We can't see anything. In the modern world in which we live, we probably wouldn't grab a candle. We would probably reach for what? Your cell phone. You'd reach for your cell phone, and most of us have a little flashlight button or app or whatever you'd like to call it, and somebody would turn on their flashlight. Now, for most of us in the room, we would appreciate that very much because it would allow us to locate our cell phones and also turn on our flashlight button, and before you know it, the whole room would be illuminated with light. Now, I would like to think that most people in the room would appreciate being able to see what's going on around them. However, some people may not. It kind of depends on what your intentions are. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Some people don't like having the lights turned on because it exposes who they really are. It allows us to see you for what you really are. And listen, what you do in the dark is who you really are. And when the light comes on and shines on your darkness... And you want to hide and say, oh, keep that light away from me. Some men are not going to appreciate the light that is shining from you because it exposes them. And they will feel judged. They, they will actually say that verbally out loud. Why are you judging me? Hey, man, I just turned on the lights. The fact that we can see how ugly you are is your fault. That's not my fault. <laughs> I just turned on the light and then boom, there you were. Ah! 
Some men will not appreciate it. And listen, this is the reason that many people will not turn on the light. Because although you know there are others that might appreciate it, you are scared to death of the very few or even many that might be upset with the fact that you turned on the light. And because you're deathly afraid of public opinion, instead of standing up and living like a Christian, acting, thinking, speaking like a Christian in all spheres of life, you rather hide the light under your bushel. You hide it in a secret place, trying to actually justify it by saying things like this, I believe religion is a private thing not to be talked about publicly. Oh, how dare you? Jesus said, nobody lights a candle and then puts it in a secret place. What would be the purpose of that? You lit the candle, why? To give light to everybody in the room so that they can clearly see the way. God did not light your soul with the light of the world, the true light. He didn't give you that light so that it could be hidden. It is to be set on a hill. It is to be held up as a beacon, as a lighthouse, so that travelers lost at sea can find their way home. And when you hide that light, you keep lost people lost. Say, Brother Mike, how can I let that light shine? Listen to this. Some people are deathly afraid to be different. You have to first remove the fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare. You fall into the trap of doing what everybody else wants you to do. So the first thing to let that light shine is to say, I don't care about public opinion. I have a light bursting forth inside of me and it hurts to hold it in. I've got to let this light out. You must overcome the fear of man. Think about it. You're in that dark room. The first one to turn their light on, what's going to happen? Everybody turns and looks at the one with the light. You know, if, if, if there are a hundred people in the room and one turns on a light and then two and then three and then five and then 10 and then 20, to be the 80th person to turn on the light, who's noticing by that point? But to be the first one to break the silence of that darkness with a boom, right? You're the, you're the trailblazer. You're the one that's going to stand out and be different. And oh, it puts the fear of God in people sometimes to think, oh, everybody's going to see me being different. And that's why Jesus has to encourage this section of believers. You have received the light. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. When you're at work or at school and they tell that dirty joke, don't laugh. You say, but if I don't laugh, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to look so different. It's going to be awkward. Yes, own it. That's how you let the light shine. When everybody else around you is using that bad language, you don't use that language. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Do not talk like them. You speak as one in the light. Listen, when everybody else is complaining about what's going on, Instead, you be thankful. Where everybody else is talking about how bad, whatever that thing is, find a way to be thankful for something in the moment. You say, well, you know, everybody's complaining. If I change the pace of this argument with a, with a compliment or with some, some thankful uh, statement, oh, it's going to be awkward. Yeah, it might be, but you'll, you'll shine some light. Going to church when others don't, that can be difficult. You get friends or family that want to come visit and they want to visit during church time. 
say, ah, but this is church time. We're going to church. Ah, what a time to let the light shine. What an opportunity to say, hey, this is important to me. Working hard when the boss isn't watching. Because most employees, what will they do? Boss isn't watching. Man, this is time to sit back, take a break. But for you to keep working hard, you know what the other guys will say? Stop it, stop it. You're making us look bad. No, no. You're making your Savior look good. Because this is what my Savior told me to do. I'm supposed to work hard. This is how he taught me to do it. Dressing modestly when the rest of the world won't. They want to show off their body. You want to show off your Savior. That's a way to let your light shine. And then, if nothing else, telling others about your Savior. Any chance you get, speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it smartly. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Be smart about it. But don't be ashamed to speak up for Christ. Jesus says, don't hide the light. If enough of us turn on our flashlights, it will get easier to let the light shine. But somebody needs to start it. And maybe that's not so difficult in a church, but tomorrow morning when you wake up and go to work or go to school, that's where the real challenge begins. Do not hide your light. Light can be rejected. And the question there is asked, what more do you want? Exactly how many more questions would you like answered? How many more sermons would you like? Jesus died, buried, and rose again. How much more evidence do you want that he is the true Savior? There is no greater sign than that. Light rejected. Then there's light hidden. The last group, starting in verse 34, is light abused. So there's another section of people within this small assembly, or not so small, I guess, but in this assembly, they perhaps have the intention of it, or is it, they're at least in danger of doing this, of abusing the light. Let me walk you through why I say abuse of the light. In verse 34, and Jesus begins with a, a physical statement here. The light of the body is the eye. Now, this is true on a, on a physical level. Our eye is the part of our body that processes light and allows us to perceive the world around us, right? I'm not any sort of doctor. I can't explain it per perfectly, but the light comes in and our, light, uh, or, uh, our eye communicates with our brain and uh, creates the image and then we can see what we're seeing. It allows us to interact and to perceive the world around us. So Jesus has made a very obvious statement, but he's going to use this physical truth to explain a spiritual reality. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. Now he switches from using just a physical thing to, saying, uh, to using it as, as a metaphor if your eye is focused on only one thing, then your whole body is full of light. What, what is true light? Well, the Bible says God is light. Jesus, the Bible says, is the true light. If your eye is fixed singularly and ultimately on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is your goal, your ultimate goal, your whole body is full of light. That means every other part of your life is going to fall into its proper place and be used correctly. But your eye has to be single. As soon as you have double vision and one eye is on the Lord and the other eye is on anything else, then you get confused. Your life gets cluttered. You start to get chaotic. You start to run here and there and you just, it doesn't feel right. You lack peace. 
you lack purpose because you've lost focus. Jesus goes on to say, but when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. So if your eye, if you're focused on the wrong thing, something else has achieved that ultimate goal position in your life, then your life is full of darkness. That is, you're going to be making bad decisions and and cutting corners and doing things wrong to achieve that purpose, whatever it is. Verse 35, take heed therefore that the light which is in thee be not darkness. This is how the light gets abused. Notice that in verse 35, there's light and there's darkness. These two should not be mixed. What should we be doing? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he, is, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Isn't that the goal? That is the ultimate purpose of life. If you have any other goal that you are striving towards more than that goal, then your vision is wrong. Things in your life have become blurry. Your focus is gone. And there might be some light there, but there's also some darkness coming in. So here's what happens. The light that is in you can, be, can become darkness. How so? People hear about God. They hear about the promises of God. They hear about the power of God, the wisdom of God. But then they have other goals. They have other things that are extremely important to them, more important than walking in fellowship with God. And sometimes they're bad things, but sometimes they're not so bad. God, I'm worried about my health. Fix my health. God, I'm failing at my studies. Help me with my studies. God, I need a job. Please help me with a job. God, I need a wife. God, help you. God, my family's not doing so well. Make my family stronger. Amen. God, can God do all those things? Sure. But here's what happens. Those things. And, and please, feel free to make the list longer. I'll show you in a moment how you can make the list longer. Put whatever you want on that list. When those things become more important to you than walking with God in sweet, perfect fellowship, then you will begin to use God as a means to these ends. And all of a sudden, God is no longer God. God is your slave. And God is there. God, I will worship you. I will serve you. I will sing. I will go to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll do all that stuff. As long as, God, you are fulfilling my needs and ticking my boxes. And no longer is your focus on God. You are now using the light that you have about God to achieve these other less important goals. I'm not saying they're not important, but they're not as important as that walk with God. As having the kingdom of God established in you. Jesus seated firmly on the throne of your heart, ruling all aspects of your life. What we tend to do is give God a part of our life. And say, God, you can share my life with these other things. Perhaps you remember the parable. Jesus said sometimes the seed can be sown on on ground that the ground receives it, but then thorns begin to come up. You remember that parable? 
And, and, and the Bible says the seed comes into the ground and it begins to come up and it, it looks like it's going to bear fruit, but the thorns begin to come up. What are the thorns? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life, the lust of other things. Sometimes it's sinful stuff and sometimes it's not sinful stuff. It's just stuff. This net hooters. And they spring up and they always, listen, thorns, always, always, every time they choke the word. You start off with the light, but then these other things that are not God. God is light. Your wife is not light. I didn't say she was a wicked person. I just said she's not the light. Your children aren't the light. Your job isn't the light. Your career, your schooling, those things aren't the light. God is the light. What does he deserve? The Bible says in all things, Jesus should have the preeminence. He's the preeminent one. He comes before all. He was before all. All things are of him, through him, and should be to him. God does not exist for the purpose of satisfying all of the cravings that you have in life. God should be the craving of your life. And once God is given that preeminent position and the Lord Jesus Christ is at the top of your list, then all the other parts of life will fall into their proper place. And all of the sudden, life begins to click. And you go, okay. Now I can enjoy my wife exactly how I'm supposed to. I can enjoy my kids and I can go about my job and even my hobbies. I can enjoy all of these things the way that God intended. Because now I'm not using God to get these things. I'm using these things to honor and please and magnify the Lord. Which brings us to verse 36. If thy whole body therefore be full of light. If God has that preeminent position. Having no part dark, you're not using him for any skellum, underhanded things. God, I'm trying to trick you into giving me what I want. The whole shall be full of light. Your whole life falls into place. You get light. You get understanding on every area of life. Verse 36, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. As soon as Jesus Christ takes that preeminent position, the lights come on. And every part of life starts to make more sense. I didn't say every part of life becomes easier. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. But Jesus said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Therefore, we as his disciples can be in the world, but not of the world. We know how to function because in everything, he is ordering our steps with the light of his word. With the light of his presence. Therefore somebody like David can say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Everywhere we go, we have the light of the world guiding our way. But he has to have that preeminent position. The passage, I believe, verses 29 to 36 Jesus is teaching us how to react to the light. Some have rejected it. Friend, I don't know what else needs to happen. 
for, for you to change your mind. But just know today the Holy Spirit one more time has put the finger of God on your heart and said you have a chance to repent today and to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For some of you, you have believed. I'm begging you, don't hide the light. And perhaps you have for a long time believed, but maybe the priorities are out of whack. Don't abuse the light. Don't mix it with any other part. Let the light of God guide every other part right where it needs to be. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a few minutes to think about what we've heard. The pianist will come and play softly. Perhaps today you need to react to the light. As I mentioned at the beginning, in one way or another, you are in this passage. You're somewhere in that light. You've either rejected it, you're in danger of hiding it, or that light is no longer the most important thing in your life. Your eye, perhaps, has become double. It has become evil. It is not singularly focused on God. You have a chance now, if any of you would like to react to the light that you've been given today. If any changes need to be made, if any commitments need to be made, there's an altar open. You're welcome to come and talk with the Lord. I dare not say this is my invitation. I would like to tell you this is the invitation of Jesus Christ because He is the one that gave this invitation to these people. If the candle has been lit, friend, it was lit for a purpose. It was lit for a purpose. No man lights a candle just to sit it there. It's meant to help others. It's meant to give you light on every other part of your life. Do you depend on it for that? Or is God just a part of your life? God, I'll take care of these other things. I'll make the decisions about my job and family and friends and hobbies and money. And How about you give all that to the Lord today? Here's a good prayer. Order my steps in thy word. Order my steps in thy word. The Bible says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Say, God, I don't understand how to do this part of my life. Let him give you light. Every part. Perhaps today, can I ask this? If, if you have come today and you have never received the light 
That is to say, you've been rejecting it, but today you want to make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to receive him as your savior. If you're here today and you're like that, would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. No one's going to embarrass you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Anybody else say, Pastor Mike, I've, I've struggled with this decision. I've fought against it for so long. But today, I want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be saved today. Anybody else like that? Anybody else? Thank you. I appreciate that hand. Amen. I see that. Thank you. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to pray. And as we finish, if you would like some help with that, you're welcome to come and find me or someone else. And, and we'll take you aside privately. And somebody will help you to make sure you understand it. And we'd be happy to help you receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'm not going to come to you because it's not my job to force you. But if you would like that help, you come and find. And we'll do our best. Father, we thank you for sending the light of the world not just into the world in general, but to all of us as individuals. Father, I understand I'm, I'm not Jonah. I'm not Solomon. I'm certainly not the Lord Jesus. I'm just a messenger. I trust today that the Spirit of God will move on hearts. Lord, thank you for the light that you've been giving us. I fear that we take it for granted, Father, and sorry for that Lord you've given us abundant light we want to be mindful of it and let it guide every part of us Lord I do pray for those hands that went up people here today Lord it looks as if they want to convert they want to go from darkness to light please Lord Please don't let anything get in their way. Might this be the day of their salvation. Might they come to know you personally. And in a very real and sincere way. Father, thank you for helping us this morning. Help us to retain these words. And bring forth fruit in due time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.